It is great to be with you, great to be a part of this congregation and this church family. And I want you to know, to the extent that I am able, Ruth and Tali and I are able, we want to become part of this family. We want you to feel like we're part of your family. Uh, I want to feel like you're part of my family. And I'm looking very much forward to what God is going to do. I want to tell you a story, though. There was a pastor who had just finished up the wedding rehearsal Friday night. Uh, He was headed back to his office when the uh, groom grabbed him by the arm and said, Preacher, we got to talk. He said, I need you to change those wedding vows. Pastor went, Okay. Groom said, I'll give you a hundred bucks if when you get to the part that says, I will honor, serve, and obey her, just leave that part out. Here's a hundred bucks. Slipped the pastor a brand new crisp $100 bill, walked away. Next day at the wedding ceremony, it came time for the groom to say his vows. The pastor looked him sternly in the eye and he said in a very stern voice, Young man, do you promise now to prostrate yourself before this woman? To obey her every wish and command? To serve her breakfast in bed every day of her life? to lavishly spend all of your hard-earned money on her, and to swear eternally before God, and this your lovely, intelligent, beautiful, gorgeous wife, that you will never even look at another woman again for as long as you both shall live. The young man swallowed hard, he gulped, and in a very strained and harsh voice he said, I do. Pastor went back to his office, uh, getting ready to go home, when all of a sudden the door to the study burst open and in came the groom. He said, what in the world's going on, preacher? I thought we had a deal. Preacher very calmly reached into his desk drawer, took out the $100 bill, gave it back to the young man. Reached into his coat pocket, pulled out a check from the bride for $1,000 and said, sorry, pal, she made me a better offer. <laughs> Such is life. This morning, we're beginning a journey together, you and me, in what some have called an interim or a transitional period. And you know, I don't know what you're wanting to get out of this. I don't know what your expectations of this time are. But this morning, I want to make you a better offer. And really, it is God who wants to make you the the better offer this morning. Because see, this time is not not about what you want. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you think should happen. It's not about what I think should happen. It's not about my desires and expectations. It's not about your desires and expectations. This time, I believe with all of my heart, has got to be about what God wants. And it's got to be about what God wants to see happen. And it's got to be about God's expectations. Now, we've got a choice, okay? We do have a choice. You and I can put in our $100 ideas about what we think we want to see happen. But it is God who has the $1,000 blessings. And it's God who has the $1,000 bonuses. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to get in on. Okay, I don't want my puny $100 ideas 
running the show, and I hope you don't either. See, we need God's $1,000 blessings and bonuses because that's what the Word of God says He wants to give us. I want to put a verse up on the screen. It's an important verse to us to remember as we go into this time. It's Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Some of my favorite verses. You may hear me quote these verses more than any other in these days together. Where Paul writes and he says, Now unto Him, unto Him, who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, far beyond all that we might ask or think according to His power that works within us, to Him be the glory, where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and forever, so be it. Amen. That's what I want to see in these days. I pray that is what you want to see as well. So here's how I'm looking at our task during these days. I think it's very simple. What you need to do and what I need to do, what we need to do together is simply try to position ourselves, put ourselves in the right position before God so that He can speak to us, so that He can shape us, so that He can mold us, so that He can equip us and prepare us for the future so that we don't have to settle for our $100 outcomes. We can get in on God's $1,000 bonuses. That's my prayer. And I hope it is your prayer as well. So how do we get there? That's the question. How do we get there? Gosh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because I want to show you. I want you to take your copy of God's Word, and if you have it with you, turn with me to the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. And I want to ask you this morning, you, you should have a message guide that you received when you came in. We'll try to follow our way through that, and I'll try to have something like this for you every Sunday. It helps me keep on track with where I'm going. Maybe it'll help you, but it certainly helps me. But we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to join me in asking myself, and you ask yourself, this question. It might seem a little bit odd, but here's the question I want us to consider. And I want us to come back to the answer to this question week after week and month after month, as long as God has us together. And the question is this, do I need a second childhood? Do I need a second childhood? I'm asking myself that question. I want you to ask yourself that question. Do I need a second childhood? Now, before we answer that question, I need to look at some important background information here that we need to be aware of in Matthew chapter 18. First of all, in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 18, there is a key question that is asked of Jesus. And it is asked by His own disciples. And the question is this. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now that sounds like a reasonable inquiry to me. Jesus, we just want to know, when it's all said and done, how do you achieve true greatness in your kingdom? Sounds like a, an important question and one that needs to be considered. But what you need to understand is that when these disciples ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There was a very selfish and a very self-centered and a very self-ambitious motive behind that question because every one of these guys, I believe, was hoping that Jesus would point to him and say, why, you're the greatest, of course. 
You see, over and over again in the Gospels, we see the disciples arguing about this and debating this. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Of all the disciples, Jesus, who is the greatest here? So Jesus, seeing this, sensing this, knowing this, responds in a shocking kind of way because we read in verse 3 that he calls a little child to come out of the crowd and he brings that little child and he sits him down right in the middle of those selfish, self-centered, self-seeking disciples and Jesus proceeds to give them an object lesson they would never forget. Look with me at what Jesus says to them in verse 3, and this is the key verse in our text. Jesus looks at these disciples and he says, I tell you the truth. You must change and become like little children, otherwise you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, get what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, guys, before you start worrying about a position in the kingdom, you better make sure you're going to be part of the kingdom. Before you start worrying about who's going to be the greatest, you better make sure you're in the kingdom. You see, when Jesus says, you've got to change and become like little children, he was saying to these guys, fellas, unless you change. Now that word brings fear into the heart of church members, doesn't it? Okay, be honest. Okay. Unless you what? Change. But see, this is a very biblical word. Jesus says, unless something changes in the very root and nature of your being, guys, Unless you become something totally different from what I see right now, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now let me make sure you understand something right here because this is really important. When Jesus said, unless you change, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, He was not saying to these guys, unless you change, you won't get to go to heaven when you die. That's not what He was saying. Now, we all understand that there has to be a change in our hearts and in our lives in order for us to go to heaven, all right? I'm not debating that. That's just not what Jesus is saying here. These guys were already following Jesus. These guys were already trying to do their best to to be what Jesus wanted them to be, but they did not grasp something that was very, very important. Jesus was not saying, if you don't change, you won't get to go to heaven when you die. What he was saying was, guys, if you don't change your attitudes. If you don't change your ways of thinking, if you don't try if you don't change the way you're constantly trying to manipulate things so that they turn out the way you want them to turn out and you end up on top, if you don't change that guys, then you will never get to enter the fullness of what life on this earth can be like when God totally rules and when God totally reigns in the human experience. Because you see, that is what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is all about God's kingly rule. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, that's what he's talking about. God's kingly rule. 
He is talking about the reign of God in the hearts of men. The reign of God in the hearts of men. And that is not something that we ought to be sitting around waiting on to happen after we die and go to heaven. It is something we ought to be walking in and living in and experiencing and demonstrating to our world right now. So do you understand? Jesus is not talking about going to heaven after you die. He's talking about why you live life right here on this earth, living under the kingly rule of God, the absolute rule and reign of God over your life. And this is the real problem that I see in the church of Jesus Christ today. Do you realize that today, right now, there are millions and millions of people sitting in millions and millions of churches who are going to heaven, or at least most of them think they are, let's hope they are, They're going to heaven, but they are not living their lives underneath the absolute rule and reign of God. And so they are not experiencing God's $1,000 blessings. They are settling for their own $100 outcomes. And Jesus said, no, that is not what I want. I am looking for people who will live the totality of their lives underneath my absolute rule and reign. So unless you're willing to change and become like little children, you will never enter into and experience what it is like when God rules and reigns totally in the human experience. Now, I'm going to step out this morning and I'm going to trod where angels fear to tread. All right, And I'm going to let you in on a secret. All right, can you handle it? I heard a sure. I hope that's true. Okay. We'll let you in on a secret. Don't tell anybody because it's our secret. All right? If there are problems in the church, we don't really have a church problem. We have a kingdom problem. If there are problems in the church, we don't really have a church problem. What we have is a kingdom problem. It means that God is not ruling and reigning the way He demands and the way He deserves to rule and to reign. And that is why the kingdom must come first, not the church. That doesn't mean the church is not important. The church is critically important, but only as it helps you and me in the process of advancing the rule and the reign of God in our own lives, in our homes, in our communities, and among the nations. And that's why the church has got to come first. I mean, the the kingdom's got to come first, and then the church. I want to make you a promise. It's not my promise, it's based on the authority of God's Word, right? If you are living your life and I am living my life with an absolute commitment to living underneath the rule and the reign of God, then Taylor's First Baptist Church is going to be just fine. It's going to be just fine. If your commitment and my commitment is to live our lives individually and collectively underneath the absolute rule and reign of God, but I can promise you something else. 
If I am not living my life underneath the absolute rule and reign of God, and you are not living your life underneath the absolute rule and reign of God, then neither this church nor any other church will ever be fine. It doesn't matter who stands in this pulpit, and it doesn't matter who sits in those pews. So I just want to make sure as we get started, we understand that part of the way I see part of my role is to hold out before us always a kingdom vision that God desires and He deserves to totally rule and totally reign over every area and every arena of my life and of your life. And this is the difference between our $100 outcomes and God's $1,000 blessings. I don't know about you, I want to get in on $1,000 blessings. I'm tired of my puny $100 outcomes. And so this is what I pray we're striving for and moving toward together as the people of God. So how do we get in on God's best? Well, Jesus says if you want to get in on that, something's got to change. There's the word. Now what does he say has to change? Well, Again, verse 3, look at it again. I tell you the truth, you must change and become like little children. Otherwise, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says we've got to change and become like little children. Well, what does it mean to become like a little child? Let's try to answer that question. First of all, and you can fill in the blanks here, it does not mean being childish. Can I say that? Okay, becoming like a little child does not mean being childish. I know a lot of adults who are childish. You may not believe this, but I know a lot of Christians who are childish. They can be petty. They can demand their own way. And when they don't get it, they have their own adult version of a temper tantrum that they throw. So Jesus is not saying for us to be childish. That is not what He means. What He does mean is that we should become childlike. And there is a big difference there between being childish and between being childlike. Jesus is talking about embracing the qualities and characteristics of little children. Now, we all know little children aren't perfect, right? I mean, we, we do, parents, okay, we all, we all know little children aren't perfect, okay? They can be jealous, they can be envious, and my, oh my, how they can be selfish. Have you ever had someone bring their little child over to your house, and their little child got a hold of your little child's favorite toy? Brother, the war was on, Right? We know that. Little children aren't perfect, and Jesus is not suggesting that they are. But He is telling us that there's some very special qualities in the lives of little children. What He sees in them, that He longs to see in your life and in my life. And if we can get these things down, church, they will position us. They will position us so that God can give us His $1,000 blessings, and we don't have to settle for our $100 ones. Are you with me? So let's look and see what these are. 
in our remaining time this morning, and I'll have to speed through them. What are the childlike qualities and characteristics that Jesus is looking for in his followers that will position us before him so that he can do the great things that I believe he wants to do during this time? And can I say something else here really straight up? This is not just about a church and an interim period. These things hold true for your life individually. Okay? If you want to see God do a great work in your life, in you, individually, as an individual Christian, then these things are very, very important. And here's the first one. Number one, Jesus is looking for humility in his followers. He is looking for humility in his followers. He tells us that very specifically, verse 4 of Matthew chapter 18. Look at what he says. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Little children are humble, aren't they? Have you ever watched them? I mean, they'll just follow you along. And they'll just try to please you so much. They don't have an inflated sense of their own importance. They have a humble spirit. You don't have to argue with a little child about who mommy is or who daddy is or who the leader is. Man, they want to follow you. In, t- in fact, sometimes they'll follow you to the point of absolute exhaustion. You know, I remember when our kids were little, Ruth trying to cook or sew or read or something. There they'd be underfoot, grabbing hold of her skirt, wanting to be right in the middle of everything. And sometimes it just wants you to want to say, ah, can I, can I just get away for a little bit? Little children have a very humble spirit. They don't worry so much about themselves because they're trying to please you so much. But my, how that changes as we get older, doesn't it? Sure it does. The focus shifts from wanting most of all to please others now to wanting most of all to please ourselves. And suddenly our plans and our desires and our agendas become the most important thing. And and what other people need and other people's concerns and what God wants has to take a back seat to our own self-centered desires and interests. Look at what Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. It's a good verse to remember. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Do you want God to exalt you? Do you want to get in on His $1,000 blessings instead of your puny $100 ones? Humble yourself. Become little again in your own sight. Hard for us to do. I don't know how many of you here may be bird lovers, but I love on a spring morning if our windows are open when lay in the bed and listen to the birds singing outside. I mean, sometimes it's a real real concert, real symphony. The robins and the wrens and the sparrows. Man, it's just awesome. But as I've thought about that, I've thought, you know, I have never once in my in entire life heard the melodious song of a buzzard. I have never heard the sweet music of a turkey or even an eagle. Do you realize that all of the singing birds are the little birds? The big birds don't have anything to contribute. They're a lot like some Christians I know 
so big in their own estimation, so unwilling to change, so unwilling to listen, so unwilling to be sensitive to the needs and the concerns of others, so certain of their own agendas, so unwilling to admit their mistakes and do just the little things sometimes that need to be done to make sure things turn out better. Oh, how I wish this morning, and my prayer for you and for me, is that we could learn again to be little in our own sight and bring joy to the heart of our Heavenly Father by singing the sweet song of humility. That was the example of our Lord, was it not? Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although He was in very nature God, did not consider that equality with God as something to be held on to at all costs, to be grasped. But He humbled Himself. And He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Church, when Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, surely part of what He meant was that we need to recover that childlike quality of humility before God and before others. It will position us so that God can do a great work in our lives and in this church. Number one, Jesus is looking for humility. Number two, Jesus is looking for responsiveness in His followers. Responsiveness. <laughs> Have you ever been with a group of children and you needed some help and you asked for a volunteer? What happens? All the hands go up, right? Me, 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 me. Teacher, pick me. Please choose me. He did it last time. She got to do it last week. Please pick me. Little children are responsive when you ask them to do something. It's me, 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 me. But just wait until they're about 30. And let the pastor ask, who wants to help us reach our community for Christ? Who wants to teach our teenagers about the need for more missionaries to the nations? Or, who is willing to let go right now of some of your precious preferences and the way that you've always done things before for the sake of building a future that might be greater than what we see right now, even if it means the present is a little bit uncomfortable? How many hands go up? See what I mean? We lose something, don't we, along the way. Let me tell you when, you, when you sense God is telling you something from His Word, by His Spirit, when you hear that still, small voice from within in you saying, I need somebody to step up and do the hard things, do the uncomfortable things, maybe even do the unpopular things, then you and I called of God should be the first to step up and go, me, 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 me. God, I am here. I will answer. I will do whatever it is you ask me to do. That was the attitude of Isaiah, wasn't it? Look at these verses, chapter 6, or this verse, chapter 6, verse 8. You know it well. Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord. God was calling. He said, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, me, 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 me. God, you can count on me. Here I am. Send me. Use me. Take me. And when Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, 
Surely part of what he meant was that we need to recover that childlike quality of responsiveness to him. It will position us so that God will be able to do great things in our lives and in our churches. Third thing, move quickly. Jesus is looking for trust in his followers. Trust. Boy, little children are trusting, aren't they? I mean, they're trusting. They don't know anything better than just to take you at your word and to stake their little lives on it. You tell a little child that the moon is made of green cheese, then buddy, the moon is made of green cheese. Because mommy said it, daddy said it, that's the way it is. You tell a little child that Jesus loves him or her, they'll believe that with all of their hearts. And they'll tell other people about it too. And for this reason, maybe more than any other, I hate to see little children grow up because all of a sudden it becomes a lot harder to believe anything or anybody. It becomes a lot harder to trust in anything or anybody. We become cynical and skeptical. We become full of doubt. We're afraid to take a real leap of faith. We begin feeling like, hey, we've got to rely on our own abilities, on our own resources, on our own opinions if we're going to make it in this world. And we become afraid to take God at His Word. But look at what Hebrews 11.6 says. One of the most important verses in all of Scripture. Without faith, it is hard to please God. Is that what it says? Or without faith, we'll have a whole lot tougher time pleasing God. Or without faith, it might be a little bit of a struggle to please God. Is that what the verse says? No. What does it say? Without faith, it is what? It is absolutely impossible for us to please God. Oh, may God help us to go back to that time when we had that childlike trust and trusting attitude toward God that says, Lord, I don't just believe in you. I believe you. I just don't believe you're out there somewhere. I believe you're right here walking with me, filling me by your Spirit, strengthening me, enabling me to do more than I could ever do by myself. I believe you're in absolute control. You can handle anything that comes along in this journey. So I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to check out. You see, when Jesus said we need to change and become like little children, part of what he meant is that we need to rediscover and recover that child like faith and trust in Him that simply says, God, you've got this. I may not understand it. I may not know where we're going. I may not be able to see how it's going to all end out. But God, I don't just believe in You. I believe You. And You're going to see us through. Trust. Number four. God is looking for a teachable spirit in His followers. I love this about little children. They're teachable. They love to learn. They don't pretend to have all the answers. They don't pretend that they know everything there is to know. They're always wanting to learn something new. I see this in my grandchildren now all the time. Poppy, let me tell you what I learned. Poppy, let me tell you what we did in school. And they'll sing their songs or they'll show me what they've drawn. They love to learn. So they're always, always, always asking questions, right? How do birds fly? How big is God? Or the one that sends chills up and down every parent's spine. Daddy, where do babies come from? You know, we all get these questions. Little children have an insatiable curiosity 
that is born out of a desire to learn. They are teachable. But oh my, oh my, oh my, as we get older, if we're not very careful, suddenly we think we know everything. We think we've heard everything. We think there's not anything else that we possibly need to learn. And then it gets really tragic and really sad when that bleeds over into our experience with God and what He wants to do in our lives. We don't want to change. We don't want to reevaluate. We don't want to take a second look at anything. And so we just limp along in life and we wonder why we keep settling for these $100 outcomes when God says He wants to give us $1,000 blessings. Would you look with me at what the psalmist said? Look at this attitude. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. God, make me to know Your ways. Teach me Your paths. Lead me in Your truth. Teach me, Lord. For You I wait all the day long. The psalmist said, Lord, I'm teachable. And I need to hear. I want to learn. Teach me. Oh, I wish we could become church like little children again and go to our Heavenly Father and ask Him the questions that are really important. And then go to His Word and come to His house and be with His people and get His answers for our lives and for His church. See, when Jesus said you've got to change and become like little children, part of what He meant was we need to recover that childlike quality of teachability so it will position us so that God can do great things in our lives and in our church. Well, finally, not only is Jesus looking for humility, not only is He looking for responsiveness and trust and a teachable spirit, but Fifthly and finally, Jesus is looking for a forgiving heart in His followers. Let me tell you something about a little child. You know it. A little child simply cannot hold a grudge. At least not for very long. Now I'm talking about the little children. One minute you see them, they're fighting like cats and dogs. The next minute they're heading off hand-in-hand, arm-in-arm, best of friends. Little children are forgiving. We adults, on the other hand, (laughs) can hold grudges for years, can't we? And never have a moment's peace and lay awake nights absolutely seething Because someone said something to us or did something to us that upset us, got us mad, made us angry. Church, how we need desperately to recover that childlike quality, that childlike spirit of having a forgiving heart so that we can live our lives free of resentment. Live our lives free of anger. Live our lives free of frustration and be able to serve God and serve one another with love and joy. 
It cannot be said any plainer than Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 31. Here's another verse for you. Get rid, throw it out, all bitterness, passion, and anger. No more shouting or insults. No more hateful feelings of any sort. Instead, be kind and tenderhearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ Jesus. What do you want out of this time? What do you think should happen? What are your wants? What are your desires? And are you going to be satisfied with putting your $100 ideas in the bucket? Or do you want to experience God's better offer? I'll be honest with you this morning. I don't know exactly where this journey is going to take us. Okay, I, I'm committed to praying through this just like I pray and trust that you are. So we may go somewhere, and we certainly will go somewhere, but we will not go far if Jesus does not see in you and in me today these qualities and characteristics of humility before others and before God responsiveness to His Word and His will. Trust in His ability to do what He wants to do and that He will be everything this Word says He will be to us. Having a teachable spirit that says, God, I need to hear from You. And having a forgiving heart. These things will position us so that God can do a great work in your life, in my life, and in the life of this church. I want God's $1,000 outcomes, not my $100 ones. And I hope this morning that's your prayer as well. You should bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your people. And Lord, we're going to come now in just a few brief moments together, just of reflection and uh, Lord, a time I pray of response. And God, I pray you'll move in each of our hearts today that there will be a desire for us, Lord, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers and respond on whatever level, God, you would have us respond today. We want your $1,000 blessings, God. We want your $1,000 outcomes, your $1,000 results. We don't want our puny $100 ones. We want to see you do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to your power at work within us. So God, wherever it is we need to change and become like little children, I pray today that each one of us would say, yes, Lord, I need a second childhood. I need to be more humble. I need to be more responsive. God, I need to trust You more. I need to have a teachable spirit. God, I need to demonstrate a forgiving heart. Because God, I want to be positioned before You so that You will be able to do everything You want to do. I don't want to just be going to heaven, God. I want to live life 
as a citizen of your kingdom where you rule and reign over every area and arena of my life, where you rule and you reign over the life of your church. Oh God, would you do something great in this place today? And would you begin that with me? May that be our prayer. And Father, if there is one here today who cannot name the name of Jesus Christ as absolute Lord and Savior of life, who has never bowed heart nor will at the foot of Calvary's cross to receive your forgiveness, to receive your gift of eternal life, to be brought back into a right relationship with you through Christ Jesus. Lord, if there is anybody here underneath the sound of my voice who does not walk with you daily in a personal relationship because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. God, I pray today might be that day of decision for that person. And I pray as we sing, that person will just not be afraid to step out from wherever they are and walk down one of these aisles and come and take my hand and say, Brother Allen, I need Jesus at the center of my life. And Lord, I pray there'll be those who might come down to this altar and just bow and say to you, God, on this day of new beginnings, we humble ourselves before you. God, we ask you to make us again like little children. Oh God, move. Do your work here in our midst, we pray in Christ's name.